W-O-R-A-M and F-M, New York. James, let's go. Let's go. All right, all right. Hold it there. Wait just a minute here. Ah! Help, help, help. The studio's on fire. Oh, ah! All right, there. It's put it out. I stomped it on there. All right, let's go, Jim. Bring it up. Holy smoker. Oh. Yes, here he comes. Striding into the now. Striding into the present. Stiff-legged, angry, his eyes flashing fire. The great torrent of molten lava pouring through his veins. Ah, passion. He is hard to see. The big man. Bring it up. That's me. Daddy, this ain't Woody Allen you're listening to. Bring it up. I ain't nervous at all. Radio's answer to Martha Dean. Many eons ago, in an ancient valley in the great bull of the Middle West, a child was born to two simple, dishonest parents, little realizing the great torrent of words they were about to unleash on the 20th century unsuspecting world. Yes, time was to prove 
All right, all right. <laughs> you want to hear more of that? Achievers, <laughs> you know, it's terrible. You can't be too truthful about yourself. You're in trouble if you do. You know, the first thing you got to do. Oh, my. This program is pure camp, guys. <laughs> it stopped them all there. I'll never forget a couple of years ago, I was with this review. And, uh, I was with a, you know, a, a review. You know, the kind of review where they go, ta 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 wah wah wah. You know, and also the kind of review, oh, there's no business like show business. There's no business I know. Da ta 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 wah wah. Well, it was real show business yard wide. And I'll tell you, I was with this, this review for about four months. And I realized there was just me and one other guy. We were the only two guys, apparently at that time, in the Western Hemisphere who did not have silken elfin wings. Bring it up there. Bring it up big. Now, here he comes. All set. Mm. Oh, I've seen things. I've experienced things. I've been through hells that few of you would even realize nor understand. Yes, at Simple Valley in the Great Bowl of the Midwest, produced unbeknownst to those honest, reliable, irreverent parents, produced a torrent of glop that was not to stop until well into... Bring it up there. Very good. <laughs> Terrible scene. Ah, gee whiz, wow. Well... It's a good thing about uh, well out uh, here. Now somebody sent me this cartoon. I saw this cartoon of the king, you know, sitting there talking to the queen, and she's looking real bugged, and the king is looking real bugged. He's looking even madder than she is, and he says, "Do you think I enjoy being despotic?" <laughs> well, all right, I'm going to ask you guys out there. Do you think I enjoy being a clown? Do you think I enjoy being everybody's buffoon? Do you think I enjoy being the laughing stock of WOR? Oh, at the Western Hemisphere? Crying out loud. No, these things come hard, I'll tell you that. What did I do with this cigar? Will you stop giving me exploding cigars? The last one you're going to give. Did you? Speaking of cartoons, here's another one. It says, these two people are running along, you know, they're running along the beach. <laughs> and the uh, big fat lady and a big fat guy, and they're running along, and they both got bottles in their hand, and he's got a big fat silly you-know-what grin on his face. The word is silly. This is another word. Goes with it. Silly you-know-what grin. And they're running along by the water there, and she says, but Floyd, maybe we're too old for the Pepsi generation. Bring it up there. Hit it all away. <laughs> yes. To those simple parents, there was born a youngster. Kicking and squalling, he came into this world. Within a short time, he was playing a doggone good second base. He was very particularly good on the pivot plays. Little realizing that within a few short years, he was to be sandwiched between two of the great giants, the creative giants of the radio industry. Sorry, I just can't help it, you know. Sometimes, you know, you can buy a book now. It says 2,000 insults for all occasions. Now, this shows you what kind of a world we're in, you know. Just, just 50 years ago, why hardly a man, hardly a man would, would dare to admit that he was a practicing insulter. 
And now you can buy it's a bestseller. It says, uh, do you remember this morning the comeback you needed last night? Well, next time, don't be caught with your gags down. Here is a storehouse of instant sick wit designed to put an end to morning after second thoughts. Cry, here's the things this book will give you. It'll give you the, uh, the power to raise hell with hell raisers. Two, you'll demolish asses. You'll bury boars. You'll rip the... You'll squelch pests, and you'll become big in your company. Now, now, now the only reason I brought that out was, was uh, this is a pretty interesting idea, that you can buy 2,000 insults, and people are buying it. <laughs> What's going to happen when two guys who read the same book run into each other? <laughs> yes, indeed. Let's see. There's something else I wanted to say here before we got any further here. No, we did that. Have any of you ladies out there bought your clock from Hamaker Schlemmer yet? To those who read the ad, I don't even have to explain it. The lady who sent me the ad says, you know, she says, terrible. She says, for years, she says, all, all that ever happens to me is when my alarm clock goes off, I get up. <laughs> this alarm clock is for another thing there. Everything is getting automated. Have you noticed that? Even the whoopieville. Well, well, if it isn't T.E. Lawrence himself. Did you see that cartoon of the truck driver looking out of the window of his truck and you see sitting there next to him right down there on the street, there's this guy with a checkered cap and he's got a pipe and he's got a pair of shades and he's got a hunting jacket, you know, with the leather patches at the sleeves and he's riding a, looks like a Yamaha there. He's got a little motorcycle, see? And the truck driver says, well, well, if it isn't T.E. Lawrence himself. Well, you'd have to know about Lawrence of Arabia to understand that one, and of course I assume that you don't, so we will move on. Da, 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 dee, dee. If you got Lawrence of Arabia through Peter O'Leary, you didn't have Lawrence of Arabia. And now, let's hit that button. No, isn't that true, Jim? That ain't the real Lawrence. No, not by a long shot. Hit it, Charlie. Sooner or later, it's da, going da, da, to happen. Da, dee. Your cigarette will start to taste dull and flat. Yeah. That's the time to brighten up your taste. That's right. Good taste Go all Kent. away. Yes, Kent will brighten up your taste because that, that, Kent that, that, is that, that, good. So good. That, that, so good that, that, tasting. Good taste going when you light up a Kent. That, 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 light up a Kent. 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 Brighten up your taste. Light up a can and you've got a good thing going. Hey, who was on that commercial? It was fantastic. A bit of scat singing there. Was it Al Jolson's? Oh, come on. That's being irreverent. Yeah, yeah. You know, speaking of uh, being irreverent, uh, since this is a Friday night, we might as well go all the way. Hey, speaking of Friday night, uh, tomorrow that reminds me, tomorrow night. You know, I don't know why. It, what is it with radio? 
uh, radio advertises everything in the sun, under the sun, except itself. This is the truth. Uh, no, I, I'm seriously. How I, how long have I been down at the limelight now, Jim? It's been. Let's see. It was a year last February. It's been a long time. And do you know I still get letters from people saying uh, I didn't know you were at the limelight. This is a 50 kilowatt bazooper yelling it out over 29 states. <laughs> She was, well, I have a suspicion that there are guys still living around who still think Roosevelt is president. You know, they, they, they keep wondering what all this stuff is on the news. They keep saying, what, what is this guy talking about? This is... Then they go back to sleep a while and figure that when they wake up, the news will get straightened out again. However, uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, there's a lot of people. You know that, that, that one of the most curious uh, developments, so speaking of that, we better finish the thing about the limelight. For those of you who don't know we're in a place, and you can come down and see the show, and I tap dance and yell and holler and I blow horns and stuff. Uh, I'm down at the place called the Limelight, which is uh, in the village. You just go down straight down Seventh Avenue, and it's a place where you can have a drinky, and they have a they have a great kitchen there and a nice place, and it's it's very inexpensive, and I think you'll enjoy it, you know. Uh, except for me, I keep making all the noise in the corner while you're trying to make the scene with your chick, and you'll find me. And oh, another thing too, a large number of people seem to think somehow. Those who know about the Limelight Show somehow have an idea that I sit in the corner in the dark in a little cave-like. With I get this all the time from people with earphones on, them, on my head, you know, with an engineer, and do this like in private. This is done in front of everybody. I'm like on a stage. You have no idea how naked I am out there. Holy crying out loud. Sometimes, literally. And I do this thing. Yeah, well, you want the underwater ballet? Well, you know, we've been promising people for a long time to do the underwater ballet, which uh, I was such a sensation in, in the 1960-61 Broadway season. And for those of you who missed the underwater ballet that year, we are planning to do it at the limelight this week, Jim. Yeah, we finally got the pipes in. And uh, I will be doing the underwater ballet between 10.05 and midnight this week. Oh, it's a beautiful spectacle. I, I think people always enjoy spectacles. I do. I, I, I do a lot of formation swimming, by the way. And uh, it's, it's, uh, I, do, I do a lot of stunt swimming and various things. And, and uh, I'm one of the very few people, seriously, who does three-part harmony underwater. And uh, for those of you who would like to see this thing, seriously, it's, it's big. Moses tried to get me for the fair, you know. Well, you know, we never came to any financial agreement. Nobody ever comes to a financial agreement with Moses. They've been trying for over, let's see, it's been over 4,000 years now to come to an agreement with Moses. However, <laughs> in one way or another, and you can interpret that <clears throat> any way you care, uh, I will be there from 11, no, 10.05 until midnight. And if you don't come, I'll be so hurt. <laughs> yes, indeed. All right, speaking of hurtful people, this is W-O-R-A-M and F-M, New Yorkie, and I think we can give them the honor here. There you go, James. There you go. Oh, boy. Hot diggity dog. J.G. Another highlight in open pork cans. What are you doing? Give Distinctive me a... Miller Highlight. They won't let me talk anymore on these things. All right, that's uh, that's their their loss. Go ahead. Just pop and pour Miller Highlight, the champagne of bottled beer. No opener needed. And inside every can, enjoy the hearty yet light goodness of Miller Highlight, brewed from a century-old recipe, only in Milwaukee. 
Miller High Life always gives you that perfect taste in beer every time. Always a bright, clear taste. Unequaled, unquestioned, unchanging. Now you can enjoy refreshing Miller High Life in pop and pour cans. Pop and pour Miller High Life. Always sparkling, flavorful, distinctive. Now in pop and pour cans. There we go. What's the matter with this microphone here? Oh, there, there, it's back in business here. <laughs> We've got the only radio station in business that when it stops, you kick it. And there it goes. Sounds very good. She was it turned on. Oh, we're back on the air again. And then an opportunity to do the Castro Convertible Commercial. And I will read it just the way it comes here. It says, uh, Castro Convertible Commercial, 60 seconds. Take advantage of the brilliant savings in Castro's summer festival of values. Spectacular pies? Oh, boy, you bet they are. If you're looking for a particular convertible style at an unbeatable price, see Castro now. You'll find trimly tailored convertible Ottomans. What is an Ottoman, by the way? I always No, they always talk about... You can't sleep on an Ottoman. Is that a footstool? Well, what's this got to do with convertibles? Anyway, convertible footstool, what is this for three-foot-high people? Love seats. I like the idea of a convertible love seat. That's a fantastic idea. That opens up great vistas of debauchery. High fashion, full style, king size convertible sofas, impressive long line convertibles, and fully proportioned two and three piece convertible sectionals. All Castro models have a separate Castro Pedic inner spring mattress that is thick, luxurious, silent, and designed for unsurpassed sleep comfort. You go to your Castro dealer and swing. There's 37 Castro dealers everywhere, all over. Indeed. You know, somebody, speaking of cartoons, Somebody sent me a cartoon a couple of weeks ago. We did a show uh, about about uh, the idea that when you know when Americans have an interesting thing about them, uh, wherever Americans go, they look for the best in every country they go to. Oh, they really do. And and people, you meet friends years, you know, and they come back from England, and for weeks they'll say, "Oh, there was nothing like England. I will never forget." And they never tell you about the rubber toast, and they never tell you about the eggs, and they never tell you about the, the bacon with feet on it and all that stuff. And they say, oh, boy, beautiful England. Well, uh, foreigners are quite the opposite. When they come to America, very few foreigners ever have anything to say that's good about Oh, well, really, the, they, when they go back home, they are required almost by law, certainly it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a moral law, to say, well, I'll tell you, now, I, I, now, well, let me get, I'll have a, what accent do you want, huh? Well, I'll tell you, when I found about how the Americans live, I can only t- say to this, this, I have come back with a greater appreciation of the French people, of which, of course, I am one. Now, on Zeke, you have no idea what the kind of garbage the Americans eat. I, well, all right. This this makes everybody feel great, uh, and that also, by the way, shows that the guy who came to America really saw the real America. You see, he's a guy. Now, on the other hand, in England, you hear. But the two weeks I spent in America was here, here. I, as a matter of fact, I... Well, this is another type. Then you meet the guy and says, Well, let me tell you about America. 
They, they, you know, they, it's taken all the time. They are always thinking, you know, that we here in Europe are there behind it. Let me tell you, I waited for over seven and a half minutes for a, what they call a subway there. I got out of candy wrappers and cigar butts and people hidden. Well, <laughs> now that's, that's, everywhere you go, you find it, see. Well, except with the American, he's the opposite. He just doesn't do this scene. Uh, in fact, very few guys will ever admit that they saved seven and a half months for their lousy little ten days in Europe and came home with a stomach ache and came home with a, with a case of athlete's foot and a rash behind their ear and a case of a flat pocketbook. <laughs> and they met, you know, you just can't do that. You don't want to admit that. So here in Punch, only only in, in, in foreign magazines where you see this kind of cartoon, you would never see this in American magazine. For one reason, if you, if you did print a cartoon like this, they would be deluged with letters uh, saying, you know, it's a terrible thing to say about another country. This is an English punch magazine. It shows two guys in a cell. I'm talking about a cell. You know, with a little bar up at the top. And you can see a little tiny hole in the, in the ceiling where the light is flickering in. And they're in this dungeon. It's a genuine dungeon. And they are both manacled to the wall. Arms and feet. They're, stand, they're spread eagles, you know. Uh, you know, like old Shell's old famous cartoon. These two guys that you got—they're—they're—they're they're, they're all scrunchy. They got beards hanging down, and their clothes are all torn. You can see. And one guy is saying to the other guy, "Ah, this is the real Spain." <laughs> all my hippie friends would really get bugged by that because they think the real Spain is living on an island off Mallorca with $7,500 a year pension writing the great novel. That's the real Spain. So now, would you please bring on I'm the Sheik of Arabi Rasputin's Your love belongs to me Rowdy tout boot da 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 run da 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 I can also say that Hey, hey, wait, wait Before you do that, hon Hey, wait, hold on Lee, listen, baby Before you do that Do you have in there uh, Ragtime Cowboy? Ragtime Cowboy? You have it in there? We may do that uh, in, in response to thousands of unbelievable requests uh, on this Friday. You know, uh, I, had, I had a weird experience, you know, speaking of, of, uh, of doing entertainment bits. I had a very weird experience uh, a couple of weeks ago at the limelight. I, I am uh, out there running around on the stage and getting ready, you know, warming the crowd up, Jim. And there's a guy sitting down there. He's a big official-looking type. And he had that look of command in the eye. You know what I mean? The, the kind of guy you just don't want to argue with. And I'm, I'm up on the stage. I'm saying, hey, gang, oh, let's go. All right, let's go. And all of a sudden, he looks up at me and he says, <coughs> Shepard, come here. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I salute and I come down. He says, brack, brack, bork. Uh, major Hoople here. And he's a major, see, or an ex-major. Didn't I see you one time entertain the troops at Fort Monmouth? When you were stationed at Monmouth, in fact, you did a monologue. I said, mm, yes, sir, yes, sir, I remember that. <laughs> well, I hope you've improved since then. Brack. <laughs> well, you know, it's terrible. You cannot escape your past. Uh, it's, it's everywhere. And the, it's nothing to do with nostalgia. As a matter of fact, I think, um, well, here, here. Now, here, speaking of nostalgia, here's a, here's a cartoon. It's uh, one of my favorite cartoonists, by the way, Lichty. I think Lichty is consistently funny. And over the years, you know, it's funny, uh, if a guy if a guy turns out too much, if in other words, if his output is too, if he's too prolific, and he sells his talent cheap, he will never be considered a great man. If a guy prints one cartoon every three months, he will be applauded. 
I, no, I, I'm serious. I think one of the reasons J.D. Salinger is so wildly overpraised as a writer is that he gives birth to one short story every four and a half years, roughly like uh, a nine-pound girl giving birth to the Sphinx. You know, it's an unbelievable problem. He gives, you know, so, wow. <laughs> and and, and, and uh, so, so naturally, every time he does one, there's, you know, people blow horns and toot whistles and all that stuff. Now, Lichty is the opposite. For years, Lichty has had this big page, you know, that is in, you, in like 150 newspapers, and it's called Grin and Barrett. Have you ever seen that page? Eh, it's just ubiquitous. And you never really think of Lichty among the great cartoonists. Uh, and yet, consistently over the over the years, Lichty has been one of the few really funny men around. Genuinely funny. He he draws funny to begin with. And here is here is Lichty. It shows this lady sitting there watching TV, big fat lady, and she's she's got she's got her embroidery out, you know, and she's a very cheerful looking lady, and she's got nine chins, and she's sitting there, she's watching television, and you see in the foreground her husband, and he is a vicar. He is a, a minister, say, or a priest or something, and he's got, you know, a high collar, and he's got a black a black jacket on, and he's sitting there, and he's got papers all around him, and you see a wastebasket full of all crumpled up papers, and he's looking real worried, and he's got a pencil sticking out of his ear, and he's writing away at something, and she says, she is saying to him, she says, just for a change of pace, dear, I'll, I'll, I'll give my lady voice, she says, just for a change of pace, dear, wait... Why not give him a fun sermon? <laughs> well, now, you know, uh, this gets a little close to the truth. I mean, you're, you're, you're scoring home base. As a matter of fact, I remember, for those of you who are interested in, in, uh, in a kind of, uh, kind of in comment, uh, maybe, maybe I shouldn't even call it an in comment, but a kind of behind-the-scenes comment that goes on in, in, in one branch of the clergy. I will not, uh, I will not even name which one. But about seven or eight, no, oh, not that long ago, about five, six, five, 1960, about 60, 1960 it was, roughly, I was invited to speak to a large group of very official clergymen, I mean, very official types, you know, big seminar, and uh, I was invited to come down there to speak to them on, on uh, the idea on how to entertain your audience. And... Uh, <laughs> You know, and I look down there, and and here they are all sitting there very solemnly. You know, their hair is all parted in the middle, and they look very official. You know, they're they've got their hymnals and all that. And I am supposed to tell them, and I says, "Well, I'll tell you, fellas." I said, uh, "I'm very delighted that you you uh, that you invited me here. I am pleased and honored, and I am here to advise you on how to keep your radio audiences and your TV audiences. And uh, I'm ready with my first suggestion. Now let's see." Uh, how many of you can play the kazoo? <laughs> you know, like, you know, for example, I says, fellas, can you imagine getting up there, and there you are, and they're all sitting down there, and then you go... <clears throat> I said, well, now that's one way. And there's a dead silence. <laughs> they're all looking at me. <laughs> I says, another way you can stop... You know, talking and all those great words and stuff, and talk about uh, that simple old problem, S-I-N, which I know you've deleted from all of your sermons. I said, that's this problem. You'd be surprised how exciting talk about S-I-N is. 
I said, you know, SIN conjures up all kinds of ideas in people's minds. And, uh, you know, you can have them, uh, you know, you, you start, for example, start a contest called the Sin of the Week. Right, try that one, you know, where you can discuss some <laughs> dead long silence. Yes, thank you for inviting me here, gentlemen. And now, back to the drawing board. <laughs> so I can tell, only can tell you that, uh, gee whiz, wow. This show's level finish me here. I love her. All right, will you bring that on now? All right, all set. Bring it up in there. All ready. Here we go. Eins, zwei, drei. Here we go. Here we go. We got the thing all wound up. Here it goes. All set. Oh, wow. Here it comes out, King. Woohoo! He always sings raggedy music to the cattle as he swings back and forward in the saddle on a horse. And his syncopated gated, and there's such a funny meter to the roar of his repeater. How they run. When they see this fellow come, because the Western folks all know he's a rootin' tootin' hyperlootin' son of a gun, but a ragtime cowboy, ragtime cowboy, a what a cowboy, ragtime cowboy Joe. Da 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 Sang it all the way through. No, no snide laughter out there. Well, I'll have to tell you, before we do it, I mean, we've got a commercial here for Peugeot. And, uh, gee, what was I reading the other day about Peugeot? Hi, <laughs> George. I meant to, to come in here and mention it. Uh, something about a magazine. I, I read an article in a magazine recently where a guy had taken a Peugeot 403 and had kept a log on it for something like four and a half years as to what this car cost him to run, and he put maybe 100,000 miles on it in that time. And the entire article was uh, based on the premise that this is one of the lowest cost per mile automobiles ever made anywhere in the world. It is really a, a really, and a, by the way, a, a beautiful road car. I, I, I used mine when I had one. I had one for about five years, Jim, a 403 with a sliding roof, you know. Mine was gray, uh, kind of a dove gray, that peculiar French gray uh, with blue soft upholstery. But I used to use this thing to drive to back and forth to uh, Chicago from New York. And in all the years I drove that car, which was about five years, there was only one thing I ever added to it. I put a new set of tires on it. And by, Oh, yeah, that's right. This is one of the few cars that you can get around 70,000 miles for per set of tires. That's a Peugeot. You can see it at 2 East 46th Street. All right, all right. You know, uh, as long as... as <laughs> You're bringing up the whole subject of entertainment. Do you know I have never known one entertainer in any field of entertainment, any field, uh, whether it be uh, acting, whether it be nightclub uh, work, uh, whether it be radio. I'm talking about an entertainer. Now, I'm not talking about a salesman. A lot of people call salesman entertainer. In other words, a guy may be a disc jockey, and he may come on and give the time and read commercials and do this sort of thing. He's not an entertainer. Uh, he's doing something which uh, is more of a service. He's a uh, he's like an announcer. That's not an entertainer per se. 
but I'm talking about entertainers who, because of what they are and the way they are and the things they say and one thing or another, can keep a group of people interested and listening. Uh, purely on their own efforts. Uh, they, don't, they don't have to have records. They don't have to have a, a big band playing down there or one thing or another. Uh, I have never yet known one entertainer who could tell you how he entertains and why, you know, what there is, uh, how to be an entertainer, in other words. Never known. People will come up to me. I, I, I must get 25 letters a week from guys in radio or kids who want to go into television and radio and want to be entertainers. And, all, and they write and they say, well, uh, I'd like to sit down and talk to you and find out how this fellow, you know, I just can't tell you. I have never known a guy who could tell how he can entertain. I can't tell you. I can't tell you at all. Now, I can't tell you why I entertain. Now, the obvious uh, answers that people will give you, they'll say, oh, yeah, I know, big money, you know, wow, wow, wow. That. No, that's not the answer. No, no, I can't tell you why. Now, on the other hand, have you ever asked a painter, you know, I'll never forget one time reading a long essay by Edgar Allan Poe on writing, on how he wrote The Raven. Did you ever read that essay? Well, it's a it's a famous essay, and he wrote he wrote a very involved essay on how he wrote it. Now, uh, the one thing though that he left out, uh, and and he's been criticized for this, and and, and I, I say only because he's he's criticized by guys who don't know what writing is then or entertaining. Uh, he's been criticized because there's one thing he left out. He showed all the business of the rhythms, you know, and how he worked on various types of, of sentences and sounds, the tintinabulation of the bells, and he worked on, on, on how, how the sounds were all added to make this peculiar quality of the raven. And, they, and at the bottom, the editor says, the one thing Mr. Poe, though, does not tell us here is how he thought of this stuff. <laughs> In essence, uh, why did he write about a raven sitting on top of a door saying, Nevermore? Well, apparently this bugged the editor, and somehow he was he was pretending, uh, or at least he, it made him feel better to feel, I suppose, that Edgar Allan Poe was covering up. You say that he wasn't really telling all, but he actually knew. Well, I, I submit that Poe couldn't tell you. He could not say to you why he why he put that raven down there. Now, he may come up after he's done it ten years and they sit down and they argue with him about it. He may come up with some cockamamie answer. He may come up with all kinds of uh, rationalizations and ridiculous answers of why he put... He says, well, the raven represents uh, death and all this and that. But actually, when he's sitting down there, the idea came to him out of out of a complete void where ideas are in people who are creative. And there's no explaining it. I can't explain it to you. I can I could no more tell you uh, about how. And you may think I entertain. Some don't think that. And I can say this is one quality of entertainment, by the way, that's very curious, very interesting. It is is its non-universality. Uh, it is not a universal thing. I sat in a nightclub in Bangkok, for example, and I watched uh, entertainment. This is just a couple of weeks ago, and I, I'm sitting there and I'm watching these people entertain, and it was totally opaque to me. <laughs> I mean, but opaque. I was not entertained more than a minute and a half. I, uh, the first couple of minutes, you know, I was fascinated by the, the, the costume. I was fascinated by the, the, the kind of music. The music. And I'm not putting it down. 
I'm merely saying that it was totally opaque to me and everybody around me, all the, the, the Thai people, uh, the Bangkok people, were, were yelling and hollering and hitting each other and falling on the floor and they're, you know, hitting their head against the wall. <laughs> and here's the guy up there. And, and totally opaque. Now, I, I know that what, what people, for example, my show, I don't know why I'm talking about this tonight, but my show is, a, is like that. That the people who dig it, it's vastly entertaining. People who don't think it's garbage. It's as simple as that. And, and I'm going to give a warning to all of you who, who, who think that, you know, you can go out and convert somebody to this garbage. Forget it. That one man's garbage remains his garbage forever. There's just no question about it. <laughs> a guy wrote me a letter, very funny letter like that. And he says, you know, Shepard, he says, I've been listening to you for years. He says, boy, he says, you knocked me out. He says, every hell and holler. And he said, I almost driving to safety islands. And, you know, I'm driving along every night after work. He says, and one night, he says, for three years I've been hearing you laughing and screaming and hollering. He says, last night I got a, my boss. Yeah, I've been telling my boss about you all the time. And he's a big official type. And he, he says, I don't have the time. I never I didn't. I'm sorry. I didn't listen to him last night and all that. He says, last night... I am taking the boss home. And he said, in my car. He's the first time in three years. He's in my car. And so, all of a sudden, it's 10.15. He said, hey, wow, boss, Shepard's on. And he said, sure enough, you come. And he said, and then you go. He says, holy smokes. All of a sudden, I found myself sitting next to King Kong. He says, this guy's face looks like it's made out of concrete with two little marbles set in there for eyes, you know. And he's got these ball bearings clanking around between his ears. He said, he'd go, rack, rack. Well, we drove on, he said, in 45 minutes of silence with you. And he says, and I'm splitting, yelling. I'm hitting, hey, listen to that, chief. Whoa, 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 whoa. Well, we arrived back at his house. He hasn't said a word. He steps out on the car and looks in the window and says, garbage. Garbage, LG. You hear me? That's garbage, tripe. And he goes stalking up into his house. He says, there, I'm stuck. Oh. I've lost myself up with a boss. He's now the boss thinks I'm a pinhead who listens to garbage. <laughs> so the point I'm making here is don't try to convert anybody. Forget it. Uh, humor is a very, very, very uh, private thing. And, and one of the saddest sights you'll ever see is a guy trying to explain it to a chick, a Charles Adams cartoon, why it's funny. It's just an impossibility, you know. And finally, they'll say, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I see what it means now. <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs> Don't try. Forget it. It's not going to work. Just like uh, people keep coming up to me, seeing they got the all excited, and they say, oh, wow, oh, wow, Shepard, she was wow. You're in the entertainment business. She was wow. Uh, I'll bet you just love Woody Woody. Oh, boy, isn't he great Woody? I have seen, you know, and I, and I keep thinking in my head, but the last time I saw Woody Woody, uh, you know, I, I to, to paraphrase or to use the old Dorothy Parker line, I, I felt like I wanted to flow up. And <laughs> But, you know, I can't say to the guy who comes up and says, Gee, Shepard, wow, 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 what you want to see is Woody Woody, isn't he great? Wow, wow, Woody Woody, wow. So, man, you know, oh, come on, fella, you know. Uh, you don't say that because I have learned over the years you can't, you just cannot explain it. Uh, it's like uh, things, uh, it's like things like Alice in Wonderland, for example. Now there are some people who just don't dig Alice in Wonderland at all. There are those who just can't help but uh, 
you know, they, 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 they breathe deeply, heavy, and their, their eyes pop out, and they sweat, and they all, you know, well, I happen to be one of the former. <laughs> I'm not an Alice in Wonderland man. I am also, it's, it's very difficult when you're not a Winnie the Pooh man to run into Winnie the Pooh people. It's very difficult. Again, I must say, Dorothy Parker was right, I want to flow up the next time you tell me about Widow Pigwood. Uh, you know, <laughs> well, there's a matter of taste. You can't, you can't argue with it. So when, when the clergyman, you know, comes up there and says to me, uh, tell us how, uh, you know, we want to keep our audience. Well, you know, it's pretty hard to tell them uh, <laughs> how to be funny. It's very difficult because many of them are funny without knowing it. Uh, if they would only go with it, maybe they would have a crowd like that. You know, if, uh, you know speaking of entertainment, has, uh, you, you rarely hear anybody talk about this side of entertainment. You rarely hear people talk about the first time that they found themselves formally entertaining people, formally doing it. I'm talking about in the business. Now, you always hear about how this actor or this actress got their start and they worked at Woolworths and all that stuff. That doesn't mean anything. It does not say anything at all about that first moment that they found themselves actively ceasing, you know, because all, almost all entertainers start out by being the nut in the, in the living room, you know, in the house. He starts, after a while, you know, the, the kid at seven uh, who's, who's sitting there at the kitchen table knocking down the red cabbage is not the same guy that's starring in a gigantic 20th Century Fox film. Now, uh, at what point did he suddenly find himself stopping just, you know, entertaining people around him like his mother and his father and his uncle and his cousin and found himself t entertaining total strangers and found that they were digging it? That's, a, that's a, a curiously heady experience. Have you ever heard anybody talk about that? Now, now I'm talking about entertainers again. Actors, that's another scene. Uh, an actor is not really an entertainer in, in, in a sense. He's, he's more of a craftsman, a tradesman, really. But uh, a guy who comes out on the stage all by himself, you know, and the next thing you know, everybody's watching this guy, he's an entertainer. Now, he can be also an actor, and quite often he is a superb actor. But he is primarily this thing, this entertaining creature, this guy. See? Well, I can tell you a funny thing about the first time I ever entertained it. I, I remember the very minute, the very day, the first time I actually entertained somebody, a, a great crowd of people, and I was forced into it, and there I was, and suddenly found myself doing it. Well, I was about, uh, I'd say about, just was before I went in the Army, all this whole scene, you know, and I had I had been doing a little radio show I had. Now, this is not really the same as entertaining, as one thing and another. And one day, the, the program director called me in. And here I'm a kid. Say, I'm just 17. He says, Shepard, he says, um, you heard of Tom Brenneman? And I says, yeah. You know, Tom Brenneman. You remember Tom Brenneman? The guy that used to run around, you know, give ladies orchids and all that jazz? He says, you heard of Tom Brenneman? And I says, Yeah. And he says, well, the ladies of the PTA, Ladies' Aid Society of the 7th Emanuel Jesuit Church are giving a Tom Brenneman party, only they ain't got Tom Brenneman. And I said, so? He said, Shepard, you're going to get in the bus right now, and you're going, you're, you're going to go over to the Civic Center, and you're going to be Tom Brenneman. I said, what? He says, yeah. He says, you go and entertain the ladies. It's great promotion for the station. What? Entertain the ladies? Great promotion for the station? Well, I'm on my horse, and five minutes later, I'm sweating. I don't know what to do. 
I'm, I'm hiding in the wings, and out in front there is a lady saying, and now here he is, gals. Oh, fellow members, here's the man we've been waiting for. Here he is. He's coming out now. It's Gene Shepard. That's right, isn't it? Yes, it's Gene Shepard. And all of a sudden, I hear this crowd cheering. Whoa, whoa, whoa. And I walk out there, and I grab the chair lady's hat and put it on my head. And I go, oh, hi, gals. And the next thing I know, they're screaming and yelling and falling off of their chairs and knocking each other. It's been no turning back since that day. <laughs> it has been no turning back since that day. We will see you tomorrow night at the limelight at five minutes past ten. And if you can't get down there, Dad, we're on the air. You can hear it live, fantastically, brilliantly, in full color, widescreen live from 11.05 to midnight. Yes, sirree, Bob. Bob.